Hey guys, and welcome back to the Final Phase Podcast. Today we're going to switch it up a little bit. We got a great story from a European currently living and working in Asia. And we'll go over topics like streaming, work, and even sports. For the guys listening on podcasting apps, this is a video episode, so feel free to watch it on YouTube. Let's jump right in. So today we have Sombrero, a very interesting Twitch streamer and also uh, a Razer employee works in Razer Singapore. That is really interesting. I don't think I know anyone that works at Razer or any uh, company like that. So we're going to have some cool content coming in today. So tell me about where you're from, Sombrero. Uh, you're originally from the UK, right? Yeah, so born and raised in London, uh, went to boarding school. Uh, outside of London, uh, but then went back to London to do university, got a degree and uh, started working as a data analyst in a benchmarking firm just outside, uh, just uh, after university. And, um, you know, whilst I was a, a, a fresh graduate, I would like attend esports events uh, around uh, the UK and then eventually go to Europe. And, um, you know, after making some contacts uh, in the esports industry, I started doing some volunteer work, uh, shooting some video here and there, um, helping out where I could. And, uh, and then eventually applied for a position to work um, at Razor in the esports department and luckily got it. All right. Um, so how was it to move to Singapore? Like, that's a big decision, moving to a completely different yeah. world and uh, like on the opposite side of the globe. How was it for you? Yeah. So the, the thing with that as well is, because um, I had just finished university, I didn't have like, uh, any anything tying me to the UK, um, you know, I didn't have a, like a a long term girlfriend. I wasn't married. I didn't have any kids. I didn't have like a massive mortgage keeping me in the UK. So for me, it was actually quite easy to make the decision because I, you know, I thought to myself, uh, I love video games. I love competitive video games. I've been involved in one way or another since I was twelve years old at the time. You know, so we're looking ten years back from now, and then ten years back from then. So you know, I've, I've been involved, and then to have the opportunity to work in the esports department at one of the biggest esports companies um, that sponsors loads of teams, travels events, is constantly represented. Um, for me, it was a no-brainer. Even though it was like completely different from what I studied at university, I studied computer science and this was basically marketing. Um, I saw it as a way to get involved in an industry that I had a lot of passion for. And I think that's a theme that a lot of people that get started with esports will, will say. You know, ultimately, getting involved because of the passion they had for esports. Um, and then um, yeah, just moving to the other side of the planet, it was actually easier than you'd think because of the fact that in Singapore, the main spoken language is English. Mm -hmm. um, the business, all business is conducted in English. And majority of people have some form of, some form of grasp on English. Um, all the street signs are in English. Uh, all, you know, it's, it was, it's, it's like Asia for beginners is the way that I describe it. It's uh, very easy to get around. It's super clean, super safe. So there's no worries there. And um, ultimately, it's actually a great place to live if you need to travel a lot as well, because it's got such a great airport. So if I need to go to the West Coast of America for work, I can travel. If I need to go back to Europe, it's very easy to travel. Just the distances are a bit long. I see, I see, I see. Well, uh, I guess Singapore is one of the easiest countries uh, for you from the UK to move to. Yeah, you're right. There's not that many that speak uh, English as their first language these days anymore but singapore is probably one of the best when it comes to that yeah for sure so yeah what is your current job at razor so currently i'm a product developer at razor and i've been doing that for about two and a half years um i've been at razor for much longer than that though like i've been at razor for like seven and a half years now and i've done loads of different things so as i mentioned i moved over to work in the esports department then i worked in retail marketing uh, i don't know if you've ever seen any any photos or videos of like the razor stores there's like these big mm -hmm. um kind of mm -hmm. places where they're, they're like locations where people can go to try out products hang out play games it's like free to play there's no like you know you can go and play land sessions with your friends and stuff um so i was involved in that for a couple of years uh, and then i worked a bit in product marketing and then ultimately um moved over to the product development department a couple of years ago now all right so um how does your <laughs> how does your typical workday look like at the product development um, department? Yeah, so uh, for me, um, you know, a, a typical day, the office is like nine o'clock, nine to six is the hours uh, over in Singapore. 
Um, but, you know, a typical day you could start with a, like a phone call at 8 a.m. my time um, to communicate with people on the West Coast because we, it's not just people that, you know, it's not just people that are working in Razor that you have to chat to. But when you're based in Singapore and you are a multinational company, there's times where you have to take calls at opportunities where, you know, it syncs up for them. Mm-hmm. So I'll probably have a call with a partner or maybe a colleague in the morning, um, come into the office um, 9, 9.30-ish. Uh, check emails, that kind of stuff. Normally, me- mornings are kind of like jam-packed with meetings, um, depending on you know what we're working on. Um, then afternoon, it's kind of like I wouldn't say busy work, but like just getting stuff done. Like normally, it's like you'd have a meeting and or you have something that you need to get done, and then you realize that oh, hang on, we've got I've got a, a jam-packed meet- morning full of meetings. So then afternoon time is normally where I just hammer that out, get it done, and then um, typically around four o'clockish, five o'clockish, it's normally like kind of ad hoc meetings that come up about things that happen during the day. And then around five, five thirty-ish, um, I'll hop on some games. And and the thing is, you think it's quite funny, right? To say like, okay, you're gonna play games that work. But <laughs> as a product developer as well, it's very important to test products out in like the actual scenario that they're gonna be used in. It's all well and good, like, uh, you know, you get given, say, for example, you're given a prototype from the engineering team and it's to spec and it's been designed exactly as it's been, as, as it's been spec'd out. You then need to test it in real world scenarios on multiple different surfaces in different conditions and just and put it through your own testing as well as uh, the testing that gets done by the relevant testing departments in, in any company. I think like for me as well, especially keeping really active in games is super important so that when it comes to designing a product or working with the engineering team to design a product, that it stays on point and really relevant to people that are playing games and using it for gaming. Yeah, you need to know the community and what they would like to see, right? So yeah, that's a very important. Yeah. Um, so we're not going to talk about the products that you're developing right now for obvious reasons, but could you give <laughs> us an example of what you uh, were working on in the past and how that panned out? Yeah. Yeah, sure. So um, uh, one, of the, one of the products that I'm quite proud of um, are the broadcasting products that um, have, have come out of Razer, the uh, Razer Siren X and the Razer Keo. So um, those products were basically designed with like brand new streamers in mind. And mm-hmm. uh, I, took exp- I took my own experience from trying to stream and the difficulties that I faced when it came to streaming and tried to put them into products that were both uh, affordable for new streamers and resolved as many issues as possible. So mm-hmm. Um, for example, one of the issues that I faced uh, as a new streamer was like getting lighting right, learning yeah. about lighting, learning about uh, white balance, learning about um, uh, conditions that impact uh, the way a camera looks in OBS. So um, that's why uh, I worked with the engineers to like design a concept that had a ring light in it because it's much easier if the light is directly on the camera to use it. There's, there's no way you can use the light incorrectly if it's connected to the camera. You can't like put it in a weird position to give you bad shadows because it's directly in front of you. So yeah. um, that's one of the examples. And then another example would be um, the Siren X that we that we that we built. Um, I always struggled with like um, hearing microphones having like taps when you tap your keys, but not yeah. hearing the keys themselves, but hearing the vibrations because of the shocks. Right, 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 right. right. And in the past, you'd use like a really big shock a shock mount. And it would get in the way. And if you're gaming as well and you've got to put your hands in front of you, having a big shock mount can actually be distracting. So, you know, we work with engineers to put a shock mount inside the microphone. So instead of, you know, uh, suspending the entire microphone, just the diaphragm is suspended and it has the, the uh, kind of, uh, anti-shock properties. So that's some of the cool stuff that we worked on that um, was directly related to my experiences as like a brand new streamer trying to figure it out and uh, helped uh, build a better product, I think. Yeah, that's great. That's uh, very interesting. A uh, little details, I guess, that set apart certain products. Uh, mm. Talking about success, I think that Razer was probably the most successful peripherals company uh, back in the day, especially in, I don't know, early 2000s when they started out. And I don't know when Razer started uh, selling the, the mice and keyboards, maybe like 2005 or something, or maybe a bit later. But from what I remember... Um, it was the only gaming, uh, related gear that you could get at one point. Do you think that that contributed to the, the massive growth being like one of the first to do the, the lighting stuff, uh, and all of that and, and mice, how important is, yeah. is the looks? 
I think I think two two points to that question. I think in any industry, if you're first to market, you have an advantage. Yeah. Um. So I think being first to market has a big impact for any company, not 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 for just sure. raising this scenario. Yeah. And and then the whole um, lighting scenario in terms of uh, you know adding chroma to stuff uh, to products. I think it's like it's a whole it's a whole portfolio thing. So instead of it just instead of when, when you look at razor products that have chroma in them, it's not just like you know one mouse one keyboard. It's an entire ecosystem. So it's yeah. like if you have if you have a mouse and a keyboard from Razer, and then you get yourself some Philips Hue lights, you know they all work together. And there's so many integrations that, like, by being first into the market and then pushing very heavily to innovate in it, rather than it just being a, a, a mouse or a keyboard with with a with flashing lights, it's also um, got game integrations and unique unique features that go beyond just having aesthetics. Um, I think it was like a, a a big snowball effect that all linked together and, and created this awesome ecosystem where all the products link, they live together and, and, and perform well. So would you agree that Razer nowadays is more focused on just features and uh, just in general casual gaming stuff than than esports? I think that's that's actually not so true because I mean if you look at the most recent mouse that was launched, uh, the Razer Viper, it's like it screams enthusiast. Like mm-hmm. the, 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 I, I, so I don't, I don't actually handle the design for the, the mice, but I like had big input on it and like, uh, gave feedback. And, um, if you look at it, it's a super lightweight mouse, it's ergonomic. Um, it's got like the Speedflex cable, which is, uh, you know, very, very enthusiast esque. Um, it's got the optical switches and it, it doesn't, it doesn't have like the full chroma ecosystem in it. It is chroma enabled. It doesn't have like a, a kind of LED logo, but it's more focused on the hardcore individual because that's what enthusiasts are doing. So I think it's not a case of just doing one or the other. You you can have like different, you can have different uh, parts of the product of a product portfolio that speak to different people. Like the same way that, for example, you know, Mercedes, they have the A-class car that is for like people that want to drive around town, but they also have the AMG beasts that are like for racing. It's a, uh, you know, a co- one company can do multiple things. Exactly. It, it's more about how you design the product and who you who you aim it at. Um, so yeah, I think I think uh, I think it's it's not fair to say that that Razer only focuses on the casual, especially when we, then there's products like the the Razer Viper coming out that kind of screaming the enthusiast uh, enthusiast name. And you know, one of the cool things that I like about it as well is the fact that like the by default, if you plug it in, the D, the default DPI is 800, which mm-hmm. is like a small detail. You wouldn't think about that, right? But like a lower DPI is what enthusiasts use, right? They use yeah. four to eight hundred, and typically most gaming mice, when you get them, they come with like default DPI of sixteen hundred. It's only a setting that gets changed, right, in whatever software you're using. But just by having that be a default setting, it's a small little nod to the enthusiasts and say like, okay, we know, we know, we know what you guys use. We know what you guys want. We know what settings you guys use. It's out of the box, ready to go, kind of thing, you know. That's great. That's great. But uh, talking about DPI, that that was always a a very interesting thing, a marketing thing that uh, almost every gaming peripheral company used. Uh, why did everyone promote like 10,000 DPI mice as like that characteristic as the main characteristic of the Why do you think that went through and everyone was using it? I, I think I think like if you look at the gaming uh, industry as a whole as well, I see like a lot of similarities to other marketing trends in other products as well. And it's like, you know, if you, you look at like body deodorant, right? Like you go for a sh- you know, the, the spray on deodorant and whatnot. You have, you know, a few years ago, it was like 12 hour deodorant, you know, protection. Yeah. And it was like 18 hour, 24 hour, 36, you know, who's not showering for 36 hours? Who's not showering for, yes. It's, it's like an arms race where it gets to the point where it's, you know, it, you know 20,000 DPI now is what you're getting in sensors. And there's no more, there's no more benefit above that. Um, <laughs> but what happens is, is when when you get sensors that are, have that much DPI, they normally have higher resolution accuracy. So it's also about, you know, what is the accuracy that they're tracking at? How how many ips can they handle? Like how fast? Especially with games getting faster and faster. Like you know, if you talk, if you talk about FPS games in the past, you, you there was a period of time where there was like FPS games were very fast. You had games like Quake, Unreal Tournament in terms of being in the higher end of esports, right? Then CSGO came out, or CS came out, right? And the aiming style of CS is a little bit slower. It's a bit more methodical. Yeah. It's more about crosshair placement, right? So high DPI, high DPI doesn't really impact that. Or high, high IP, should I say, doesn't impact that because you're not flicking as much as you would. Then you look at games like Fortnite, and I don't know if you've ever seen a Fortnite player. I'm not even going to get into the 
topic of Fortnite as an esport or whatnot. Yeah. But if you've seen those top guys that play, the speed at which they move, you need you need to have yeah, you need sensors to have, that are capable yeah. of tracking at high, you know, I- IPS inches. In- is it inches per second or in- inches? Per- I can't remember the exact uh, acronym, but it's basically the speed at which it can track. So it's very important that sensor technology still gets pushed. Um, it's just that as they push sensor technology, the DPI also goes up. So yeah, I think the the fact that sensors can go that high. Um, especially when we're talking about individuals that play at 1080p or 1440p, you don't really need it. But maybe in the future when 4K or 8K becomes more uh, more played as a resolution, you might need more more DPI. Yeah, that's probably the, the main uh, thing. But uh, <laughs> when it comes to DPI, I think most people don't even understand what DPI is. And uh, that's what kind of made it uh, so successful because, oh, it has high DPI, let's buy it. But then you realize that you play on 800 and your mouse can go to like 1500, but uh, 15,000 or whatever. So, yeah, but <laughs> at the end of the day, it's about what people want. If, if someone is enthusiastic about high DPI, well, so be it, right? <laughs> yeah, I think it's also you've got to take into consideration there's a, lot of, there's a lot of people that play games that are not FPS games. So, like, sure. for example, someone, like, someone that plays League of Legends or Dota, Right, they or StarCraft specifically as well. They will actually play with quite a high DPI. I'm not saying fifteen thousand, but they will play thirty two hundred. They will play eighteen eighteen hundred. Um, I think um, I think Faker uses default DPI, which is eighteen eighteen hundred DPI. I mean, I uh, use sixteen hundred myself for the longest time, but sixteen hundred is still much lower than you know. Who knows 16, how much? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> for sure, for sure, for sure. Um, but yeah, I think that you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of things as well when it comes to uh, DPI in uh, in mice in general. That um, there's a diff- there's a lot of difference between like true DPI and then like interpolated DPI, and that, that's where it gets murky. Where you have you have uh, you have companies like saying, oh yeah, it's a sixteen thousand DPI capable mouse, but in reality, you look at the sensor and the specs, and you see like, oh, hang on. It's only twelve thousand, and then to get to sixteen thousand, it's interpolated. So yeah, it's yeah, they a, just wanted whole, to sell yeah. something in as yeah. few words as possible. You know, mm-hmm. DPI describes how good the mice, mouse is, and it probably is if it's true. So I guess that was the main point. All right, uh, yeah, for sure, for sure. Let's talk about uh, the future of of Razer in general. Uh, Razer is doing all kinds of stuff. Like, what are some interesting projects that Razer is doing these days? For example, cloud gaming. I saw that it's involved in cloud gaming. Can you give me yeah, some other exam- examples? Maybe the, the as well? thing, yeah, for sure. Like, so the thing is, like, for me, in in my little world, in my day to day job, I don't get exposed to some of this stuff. So, like, I hear about it when mm-hmm. the public hears about it because yeah, it's a big yeah. company, right? Like, you're like, yeah. oh wow, we're doing stuff with Tencent cloud gaming now. Um, so, I mean, I can't really comment on that kind of stuff, but um, you know, it's it's pretty insane to work work in the in the Singapore office and you see people coming in and there's like they're doing stuff regarding fintech and like I know nothing about fintech. But like seeing all the stuff that the company's doing over Razor Gold and whatnot, it's really encouraging to see Razor do loads of loads of awesome new stuff. You know, yeah. imagine if if Razor just if Razor just stuck to this making mice and keyboards, it wouldn't be as big as it is today. Um, yeah. So it's it's awesome. It's awesome seeing all the all the you know really cool new areas in which the company tries tries stuff out and 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 looks to grow into. Yeah, for sure. Um, gaming in Singapore. Uh, have you gone to any events in uh, Singapore when it comes to gaming? How big is it in Singapore? I would say so. Singapore as a whole is a very small place. Um, mm. The the internet here is absolutely fantastic. I love it here. Um, but the 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 thing that I've realized as well, is, especially when I came here and I first came, I first got to Singapore, there is a very tight knit gaming community, but it's very localized. Mm-hmm. Um, so so it's like, for example, me as like a white dude, I kind of stick out like a sore thumb. And when I first came to Singapore, there weren't really any kind of FPS games that were being played. When mm-hmm. I came seven years ago, everyone everyone's playing Dota. Uh, they're playing a bit of League of Legends. Maybe some Hon was still about back in the day on Garena. Um, it was really like a, a like a like a, a ARTS MOBA focused place, and and um, I kind of like stuck out. I didn't really I don't I don't feel like I really fit in when it came to being in ingrained in the gaming community here. Everyone was super welcoming, but it's like they have their own style of speaking. They have their own colloquialisms. It's kind of difficult to get involved when you don't, you don't speak the same, not the same language, but you don't have the same gaming lingo. I came I from see, Europe. We had our own, we had our own method of speaking. So it was a bit difficult for me to kind of get, get stuck in. Um, but I've been to a few events here 
you know, um, ESL did a couple of events here back in the day. I don't, I don't think they've come back recently. Um, then uh, League of Legends did a did a stop of their world tour, I think, a few years back. That was pretty cool. But the one issue that I've realized with Singapore is it's super expensive to do anything in terms of events here. Like oh, yeah? you see all these companies that come and do stuff. They want to they want to do like a tournament. They want to do an exhibition and whatnot. And just the cost of setting an event up here, doing an event, and then also the cost of individuals from around the region coming here is super expensive. Like hotels and travel in Singapore is quite expensive. is It's quite expensive if you're someone that lives in Thailand or Vietnam and you're paid Thailand or Viet you know Vietnamese currency and you're earning wages over there. It's very expensive for people target demographic to come here to Singapore. And then when you look at Singapore as a whole, it's quite a small place. I think the yeah. most recent population was like 5 million people. If and that. it's all one small so island. Yeah, It's one small city island. So uh, it's got great infrastructure. It's got great internet, great connections in terms of people getting here. But it's quite expensive to run you know, big esports tournaments here. Yeah, I can definitely see why. Um, what are the things that you like the most about uh, Singapore? And don't tell me internet. We know it's internet, but other than internet. <laughs> Um, the, only thing, the main thing I like about Singapore is you don't have to worry about anything, nothing. Like you don't have to worry about being safe. You don't have to like, I, I, you know, I'll, I'll leave for a bike ride at 4 a.m. All right. Uh, to go meet up my friends. I don't have to worry about there being people on the streets that might want to rob me uh, out late at night or trouble. Um, I don't have to worry about, uh, oh, is my train going to run on time? Am I going to have to get to where I need to go on time? Because um, it's super clean and efficient and, and, and it works really well. Um, yeah, so there are a few things that I really enjoy about Singapore. Um, but just how easy it is to live here is the main thing. Uh, it's like there's, there's nothing to worry about here. I see. What about the food? Oh, dude, the food here is amazing. I love the food here. Um, the, thing is, the thing in Singapore is you can eat whatever you want and pay whatever you want for it. So there's obviously a lot of Asian dishes. But because it's a very big expat place where big companies send their expats to work in the head offices here or whatever, you can get really good Western food for cheap as well. You can get really good Western food for uh, like expensive as well. So depending on what you want to eat, you can pay whatever price you want for it. If you want to eat like street food equivalent, you can go and pay a couple of bucks and get a full meal. If you want to eat the same street food, but really fancy, you can go to like The four, the four Seasons or the Hilton and like get the same thing, but like really fancy. Uh, it, so it's awesome. It's, the food is amazing. I love it over here. Yeah. Is there something that you don't like about Singapore? Is there anything that I don't like about Singapore? Um, traffic can get quite bad if you're trying to get somewhere. Like I don't drive, but like say for example, I'm trying to go into town um, because it's such a small place. There's only so much space on the roads and mm -hmm. accidents happen and whatnot. So that's... Um, a little bit uh, frustrating in terms of the, the um, in terms of traffic. But I think, you know what I miss the most actually is seasons. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have thought that I would say that uh, coming from the UK and the weather there, but it's, the weather is always 34 degrees and like 90% humidity, which is great because I can always be outside. But like, I miss like wearing a jacket every now and again, or like <laughs> going out and not sweating. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I, I do. I do miss seasons. Yeah, I mean it's pretty tropical there, isn't it? So I mean, yeah, kind of. Quite. Yeah. So yeah, I've never been to a place like that, so I wouldn't know. But I, I guess it can get quite dull at some point, like you said. the The humidity is probably the biggest issue, right? It's not the temperature. Yeah, it's so. like exactly because like it's thirty four degrees and nine percent humidity, so it feels like thirty eight, thirty nine. Yeah. Um. You know, it's uh, it's very sticky. All right, so tell me about your stream. You've been streaming on Twitch for how long now? Oh, gosh. All right, so I've had a Twitch account now for, I don't know, eight, nine years. Like a very long eight, time. Very long time. I, I was like, I've had a, I, so my account's been around since Justin TV days, but I, yeah. I didn't stream on it. Yeah, I streamed yeah. a little bit uh, back in like 2013 when the original Titanfall came out um, because it was, so Titanfall, it launched in like time zones. And because mm -hmm. I was in Singapore at the time, I was like one of the first people to get access to it. I see. So, so we got access. I got access to Titanfall, and I was streaming it, and like I had like a thousand people watching me. Um, <laughs> so it was it was insane. I like stayed up all night, streamed Titanfall the first time. I got I gained like two thousand followers, and then like never streamed again for like <laughs> five years. Like I, I just never, I didn't feel the desire to stream. Wow. Um, and then uh, so I got introduced to Cyanide from the ZF Clan by mm -hmm. a friend of mine, Amru Yuki. I, me and Amru Yuki have been friends for like 15 years. We go back 
from when I was back in the UK, we used to go to the same like land cafe. Um, I got introduced to him. We got chatting. He was in Singapore. Uh, I was in Singapore. We started playing some games together, started playing Battlefield. And I was like, maybe I'd turn my stream on again. So we played a bit of Battlefield 1, I think it was back then. Um, and we were playing a few games, chilling, having some fun. And then uh, in like March 2017, PUBG, the closed alpha, uh, the, the closed beta came about. And I was like, this game looks amazing in terms of like what I'd never played a Battle Royale before, or apart from Daisy mod a little bit, but nothing, nothing crazy. And um, I kind of reached out to them and said, hey, can I get like five to 10 keys that I can give to me and my streamer friends so we can play it? Um, and I got the keys, gave some, gave one to uh, Sai, Ed, uh, Amruyuki, all the guys. We started playing it and we just started like having so much fun with it. I was like, okay, like this is a game that like I can be actually pretty decent at because I have all my experience with FPS games. Um, I'm enjoying streaming. I've got such good internet here in Singapore. I might as well. Um, and then I started taking my stream a little bit more seriously. Um, I kind of put together a little schedule, um, started streaming more consistently, consistently after work and, um, just focused on having as, as creating as much content as I could around PUBG and like creating community around the channel as a whole. Yeah. So, well, you have a full-time job, so finding, uh, enough time to stream, uh, must be pretty difficult, especially since you work till like, uh, 6 PM. How does it work for you? Yeah. When do you stream your time typically? Gotcha. All right. So this is the weird thing. So I stream normally Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday from like 7 p.m. to like 10 p.m., 10.30, right? Mm -hmm. Because I actually, I have to be in bed by 10.30 or 11 o'clock because I get up at like 4 a.m., 4.30 a.m. for my cycle training because I, uh, I do amateur racing here in Singapore. I see. And we have to do our training in the morning to avoid traffic and whatnot. Oh. And then on Saturday, I have the day off. And then Sunday, I normally do like an afternoon stream. But mm -hmm. the thing is, because it's not my full-time job, um, I, I'm not, I, when, when, when I had PUBG to play and PUBG was a new game, I was like religiously locked into that schedule. Mm -hmm. I would go home, stream, I'd go home, eat, stream, go home, eat, stream, they, and, and spend time with my girlfriend on Wednesdays, Saturdays, in between and whatnot. But now that there's not like any game that I can like sink hours into that I'm like engrossed to play, I'm giving myself a Tuesday off here and there so I can spend some more time with Steph. I might miss a Friday so that I can get more sleep so that I can uh, be a bit better on the bike on Saturday, so to speak. Um, so that's the beauty of it being a part-time job. Like I don't have to, I'm not beholden to being online at a certain time because I know that, oh, if I miss this, miss this schedule, you know, I might lose out on some subs because it's not, it's not a, a, a full-time job for me. Yeah. 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 Okay. What I think a lot of people would like to hear and a lot of people are wondering about is what would be the number of subs or viewers or whatever other metric? What would be the number that will make you quit your full-time job? Do you have something in mind, like somewhere, some estimate? So uh, to put this in perspective, right? In December 2017, when like PUBG was at its peak, yeah. right? I took, I took a month off work. Mm -hmm. So I had, I had my two weeks uh, annual leave. And I had my two weeks sabbatical because I've been at the company for five years. I see. So I combined them together and I had the whole of December off. And like in that month, um, sub gifting wasn't a thing, by the yeah. way. And yeah. I hit like, like 1,250 subs. So it was just consistent 12 hours a day. There was a few people like, gift, like in giving individual gifts. There yeah. was like a, a guy on the channel, Dr. Alfred. He was, he's like a, he was like a big supporter of the channel back then. But because I was streaming consistently, I got quite a, quite a large number of subscribers that month. And I, was, I, looked at, I looked at it and I was like, this is pretty crazy. But then I realized like, that, that comes in ebbs and flows. And exactly, it's, yeah. it's, not, it's not fully consistent. I don't know what the next trend is going to be. I, I love the work I do at Razor. Um, I, just been I just started getting involved in like product development. And I was like really enjoying changing the way products were being developed at Razor and you yeah. know, the target audience, demographic and whatnot. So that was really fun. Um, so in my mind, I don't, I don't see them as being two mutually exclusive things that are like competing against each other. Like, I don't think that, oh, uh, because I'm streaming part-time and I've got this studio that's like $30,000 of equipment that I should become a full-time streamer. I treat it like a hobby. Um, and anything that comes to the stream in terms of like, uh, donations or subs or whatever just goes back into increasing, increasing, uh, increasing the quality of the stream. 
So like the camera is a pretty ridiculous setup. Audio setup is pretty crazy. And that's all been paid for by the, by the stream. Yeah. Um, so I do my, I do my day job um, and I come home and I play games and I just so happen to turn on the stream and have a ridiculous setup and graphics and overlays and everything made by like, like for example, the guy that captain twice, the guy that did my overlay and whatnot, he does like Dr. Lupo stuff. So I'm, I'm, taking it seriously in the sense that I'm investing it from a, from a, from a hardware and uh, software and kind of branding perspective. But I don't think it's like, I don't think I'm a, I don't think I'm going into it with the goal that it will take over my day job when I quit my day job. So you, you don't even pretty much want to take that path, even if you could, or, or you're just. Nah, I mean, I, I dabbled with the idea. I thought about it. And I just, I just realized that like, I really do love my day job. Like, into, like I, you know, when you, when you wake up in the morning and you don't, and you don't think like, oh shit, I forgot to work today. Yeah. Like that's how I feel when I go to work because it's like, I, I, I mean, sorry, not, it's not how I feel. <laughs> that's the exact opposite. That's how I don't feel when I go to work. I wake up in the morning. I'm like, oh sick. This is awesome. We're going to solve this problem today. We're going to work out this. We're going to work. We're going to like make sure this product does X, Y, and Z. Uh, we're going to make sure that it's awesome for gamers so that when they get home and they're playing their games, it doesn't do this or it does do this kind of thing. So it's, it's a nice kind of, it's a nice, uh, it's a nice feeling going into work like that. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think a lot of people in the world uh, share that feeling. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, if I was still a data analyst at a benchmarking firm commuting 45 minutes or to an hour each way, each day, um, I would not feel the same, but I live really close to the office. I get to enjoy my time in the morning with my dog and my girlfriend. Uh, I get to ride my bike. You know, I get to feel healthy. I, I get to work, enjoy my work, and I get to go home and play games. It's like, it's a good life. Yeah, good I, life. Guess, I guess that sounds really nice. Yeah, you, you're kind of right. <laughs> but let's say, okay, let's say. Okay. Let's okay. say you get, I don't know. <laughs> hypothetically. Yeah, hypothetically. You get like 3K okay. viewers and uh, 3K subs for, for a month. And um, on your month, on your month off, let's say you took a month off yeah. and you got yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What would yeah. you do next month? Um, I think from my experience of taking that one month off, you'd have to hit the ground running and you'd have to be just super consistent. So say for example, it was like, you know, 3K viewers, 3K subs, right? Um, you, from, I think the end goal for most streamers is to be able to do variety, right? Like play yeah. anything you want yeah. and, and, and have anyone turn up. But I can imagine it's the same for you as well. Like you get your most viewers watching PUBG, right? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. So I, if I was doing that, I'm still a small streamer. I've only got like 29,000 followers. If that happened, whatever game I was playing or whatever I was doing, I would ride the wave for as long as possible until I started to not see growth. Then I'd try and change, change it up. Because yeah. I think um, with, with Twitch and my experience as well, it's a big snowball. And yeah. If you are consistent... If you are consistent and you ride the you ride the meta, ride the wave, um, you can grow. Like uh, the the biggest mistake I ever did, right, was I got access to the Fortnite closed beta, right, when it was still behind early access for the battle royale. The battle yeah. royale. I played I played in like the first day it was available, September twenty seventh, two thousand eighteen, I think it. No, two thousand seventeen, I think yeah. it was right. And um, I played it, and I never played it again. But it was like, I, I look back now on my YouTube channel and like that video is like one of the most viewed, viewed videos on my channel because yeah. it's like the, one of the earliest Battle Royale clips of... It's of all Fortnite. about the hype. It's all about the news, uh, yeah. exclusive footage and all of that. that. That's true. That's true. That's what uh, a lot yeah, of people so ride it, on. So Yeah, if, it, if that was the scenario, I would see whatever I was doing in that one month that allowed me to you know explode like that, um, I'd keep working hard at it. And I feel like, a lot of people get in scenarios where like um, the opportunity, I, I think I'm not saying that getting big on Twitch is lucky, but if you have an opportunity that falls in your lap like that, like I think the perfect example is someone like uh, Dizzy, right? With mm -hmm. Apex Legends. Yeah. He had been streaming for a very long time with CSGO yeah. and whatnot, but he hadn't seen the kind of explosive success that he did with Apex Legends because when Apex Legends came out, he went all in. He yep. just, he was grinding hours, insane shots. He was obviously also better than anyone else playing the game at the time because of yeah. his FPS background. Um, and yeah, and he, he absolutely exploded. If you look at his social blade graph, it's like, like skyrocketed in, uh, in March this year. Yeah. March but or February. Then again, you know, Apex kind of 
dwindling down right. and um yeah. now he's i mean he's not in trouble he has he still has thousands of viewers it's just that he has to think of a uh an exit strategy from from apex and it's always the the struggles of the big streamers i mean big streamers whatever size streamers in their first game uh transitioning to the second game uh you have uh you have been streaming all kinds of stuff lately haven't you yeah, I've been doing loads of stuff, experimenting with. I think it's the, the great thing about my scenario is because it's because it's not a full time position. I can do whatever I want. Exactly. Like, yeah. I, I streamed. I streamed myself painting Warhammer figurines. Right. I streamed myself on the the bike. I mean, you can't see it in the shot here, but I've got like a bike setup where I do like online bicycle games where I'm racing other people. Like we're actually doing like road races. Um, we streamed a bit of Dota at the end of TI, and it's fun to see what resonates with my audience. My skill set is an F, comes from an FPS background as well, but I feel like you you have to start exposing yourself to your audience and showing more of your personality, um, being a little bit witty, being a bit entertaining so that when the, when the time comes when you need to transition, they're not only watching you because of your ability in a certain game. I think the perfect example of this as a, as a kind of just like a side point is all those individuals that played StarCraft 2 at the highest level and streamed it on Twitch. Who is now the largest individual from that group of people? It's Destiny. Destiny, and yeah. That's and that's because he branched out to other games, showed more of his personality, wasn't so focused on just being this like StarCraft robot, and now he's got an established channel that can hop between League of Legends. He's, you go to the Apex Legends uh, um, uh, directory, and he's like normally one of the biggest streamers streaming it, and he's like bronze or gold or whatever rank. It's yep. not because he's good at the game, it's, but it's because he's got the personality and that entertainment factor. He doesn't even game anymore that much. I think he's more yeah, he's into debates and politics, and I don't know what. He and he's found out. his niche there as well. That's a, that's a great thing. He's really good at talking really fast and a lot of uh, different topics <laughs> and is like knowledgeable and all. But, but yeah, sure, yeah. sure, for sure. Uh, uh, Forsen, he also used to stream StarCraft. He started yeah. as a StarCraft pro gamer, ended up as a stream Meme sniper board. magnet in, in, in <laughs> yeah, PUBG. Exactly. That is his uh, like peak of I, his career, I guess. <laughs> yeah. but, I think uh, it's awesome that like these streamers, like they just need to turn on their stream now and, and the, they have stream savers or they have people that create the content for them. Exactly, um, yeah. yeah. It's, that's, that's, that's the dream goal where you're, like, your community is so large that you just attract funny individuals. I still think that there's no single Twitch streamer that is as funny or entertaining as Twitch chat as a whole. If you think about like yeah, all the people, all the memers together, there's 10,000 people watching you. Five of them are going to come up with a funny idea or a funny meme or a funny piece of content. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think the synergy of Twitch chat as a whole cannot be competed against when it comes to like being funny when you're talking about individual streamers. Exactly. And especially like, uh, I don't know, Dr. Disrespect's uh, donations, for example, they're all always oh. so funny. Uh, Asmongold's chat, um, him interacting with his chat, uh, like all of that kind of stuff. It's just content being created by by content, by content. There's mm. an endless loop of uh, just new content coming out of just nothing, let's say. And uh, yeah, that is the dream. But not everyone can achieve it. Not everyone is uh, entertaining that way. And of course, uh, you have people that just focus on gameplay, focus on tutorials, focus on uh, whatever they want. And some more successful, some less. But yeah, you doing it as a as a hobby is uh, it has its advantages for sure. Because like you say, you can mm -hmm. do whatever you want. And maybe maybe someday you hit something that just interests a lot of people and uh, it blows up and maybe you consider leaving your job <laughs> at some maybe, point. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, we'll see, we'll see. So tell me about your streaming setup. You have a pretty sweet streaming setup and I always uh, like look into the new stuff that you get <laughs> and uh, just follow what you're, what you're doing and uh, what are some interesting pieces of equipment that you got? Um, so as I briefly mentioned, um, everything in the stream or anything on the stream has all been paid for by the stream. And the, that was the notion that I put forward with, with when it came to streaming in the sense that anytime anyone ever supported the stream, it would go back into the stream to make viewing the stream a better experience. Um, it's now got to the point where we have a full analog audio for microphone. We have a DSLR camera into a dedicated capture card for the, uh, for the camera that you see with like interchangeable lenses. lenses. So the quality is really high. Um, 
I've got a dedicated streaming PC, which is like uh, pretty common for most for, like big bigger streamers. But instead of streaming at like uh, 900p or 7, 720p, for example, we've got like a Threadripper PC, which is a huge, it has like a very big CPU in it that can do encoding down to a very uh, high compression rate. So I can stream in 1080p, 60fps. Um, you know, I've got like one of the best gaming PCs that's got like a 2080 Ti and an i9-9700K so that when I'm playing, I'm playing at the best that I can play so that the content is of, of, a, of the gameplay is of a higher standard as well. So, yeah. you know, it's uh, it's pretty crazy. Um, as I mentioned, I've got I've got like a 40... Uh, this is the latest addition to the stream, actually. I'll, I'll describe it to you quickly. Mm -hmm. But I've got a 43-inch TV in front of the, the bike setup so that I can play World of Warcraft classic when it comes out tomorrow or when, you know, whenever this podcast releases, um, whilst looking at World of Warcraft, playing on a wireless keyboard, mechanical keyboard and mouse, right? I, so, I want to see that in action, know, man. I really want to see it. It's going to be great. You know, we're, we're going to do some fun things where it's like, you know, if you subscribe, I'd cycle two kilometers and we're going to see how far chat can make me subscribe based on them, you know, how, how far chat can make me cycle based on them subscribing and gifting subs. And it's all funny things. And like, for example, all the lights you see behind me, they can be controlled by Twitch chat. So like when they subscribe, the lights flash colors and whatnot. And, you know, that's something that that's all powered by Razer. So it kind of comes full circle where like the light, lights being controlled by Twitch chat and them subscribing and donating and whatnot, that all came about from me looking for new ways for audience members to interact and get extra yeah. value for subscribing and supporting a channel. Yeah, that that is, that is insane. The most well-equipped Twitch streamer, right? <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, right? You know, this is this is the funny thing. This is the funny thing, right? Like, look at some of the absolute biggest Twitch streamers, like XQC, right? He's got one computer, he's got one microphone, he's got like a shitty webcam, and he's way bigger than I am because of the fact that he has something that I don't have, which is the entertainment factor. He has the ability to, you know, um, say things that. I, as an employee of an established company, cannot say because <laughs> um, <laughs> I enjoy my day job. Yeah. Um, he can be, do things and be seen to do things that resonate very well with the Twitch audience. Um, I always think to myself, what if, if you weren't a Twitch streamer, how different would your channel be? And I feel like it wouldn't be that much more different, but I would definitely like to be a bit meme -y, you know, say a few things that are a bit risque, obviously not TOS, but like, you know, um, having all this equipment doesn't make you a good streamer. Yeah, um, it just improves the quality of your broadcast. Exactly, exactly. I think a lot of people get it wrong. They they want to start streaming and they come in and they buy like ten k dollars worth of equipment, and then they play in front of one viewer because they didn't devise the plan of other than oh let me just get a streaming PC and all all the equipment that I yeah. need. So there's a lot more to it. I, I mean, I think when we all started with just garbage equipment, it didn't matter. <laughs> um it didn't matter to us but slowly you improve you know let's get a studio mic this headset is just it's it's not good you hear me breathing you can the the mm -hmm. sound is like super high it's not good it's, uh, slowly you get into the place where where we're at but people need to realize that it's content first it's and everything thing. else is later uh, like second and third and whatever so yeah you got to focus on that all right so tell me about the ZF clan or ZF clan. How did you guys uh, meet at the start and how did it go? Yeah, so like just to kind of like officially say, I'm not actually part of the ZF clan. All right. I play with those guys a lot. All right. So this is the thing. Um, so I mentioned earlier on that I um, uh, was friends with a ZF clan member, Anwar Yuki, and he introduced me to Cyanide, who then introduced me to Edberg. And we just started playing games together. And you know when you're just playing games with people and there's like a, a click in terms of chemistry? In terms of both gameplay, in terms of the banter that you have with each other, you know, yeah. take you take give and take jokes and whatnot. Um, so it was just really nice to play with them. And I mean, I'm not, I can't say I'm like like friends with everyone from the ZF clan, but I think friendly with them. If I'm on Discord and you know I or Teamspeak and we are we're we're chatting and someone else pops in, it doesn't feel awkward that another member of that ZF clan's come in. Yeah. Um, but you know, everyone's they they they're just a bunch of guys and girls that uh, play games um one of them it happens to be like a massive youtuber that makes really funny content that people love um we're talking about and, soviet um, womble right oh uh, yeah of course yeah. yeah soviet womble yeah he's uh, he's insane in terms of the content he produces he's like i think he's the perfect example of someone that's like he's he's terrible at video games but he's like really funny very entertaining and has great comedic timing right yeah um 
So yeah, those guys, they're, they're great, great bunch of people. And uh, there's never a dull moment when playing games with those guys. Uh, my favorite memory is actually playing golf with friends with them when I got really try hard and like I'm really bad at golf with friends and they were just taking the piss out of me about being how, how bad I was at golf with friends, even though I'm like a super try hard FPS gamer. Um, so yeah, they'll, they'll, uh, they'll put you in your place and make you, uh, make you laugh at yourself uh, very quickly when playing with yeah. them. But uh, a lot of the ZF members these days are uh, really successful streamers. Like it's very interesting to see how someone's passion in in games and just good friendship and uh, good laughs uh, made people's career, right? Just from yeah, started from sure. making it's... videos. Yeah, yeah. I think you know if you look back at the whole kind of, I, I look at it from the outside uh, in, and I see that Soviet Soviet like launched a lot of those guys' careers basically yeah. being their kind of like marketing like m marketing their channels you know um cyanide ed um uh, all the other guys uh, they all featured in in those videos in one way or another in funny moments and those videos get seen by millions of people um and then also because they're a very tight -knit community they will host each other as well on on Twitch so you know if you're someone that watches a a bullshittery video and you want to go and see if any of them are online in terms of being live on Twitch, you go to one of their channels, you, they'll be hosting someone else. So it's kind of like exactly, a, a yeah. community that helps helps each other grow as well. Yeah. And I feel like I feel like one one thing as well is is um they all benefit from each other in some way or one one way or another, where it's like you have Soviet has all the amazing editing and and content and whatnot, but he needs the actors in that content as well. I'm not saying that those guys are, are paid actors or anything, but like that chemistry that they have and those funny moments are all integral to the content as well otherwise exactly it's, it's uh, a mutual yeah. it's a mutual thing especially i don't know cyanide is one of the one of the stars let's say and he's like the the funniest guy out there and it's just it it all makes sense and it's all it all feels natural and it, and it makes it really makes a lot of sense that, that they all uh, got successful from uh just starting from the videos onwards so yeah for sure for sure all right, let's uh let's talk about something non-gaming as the last topic. Mm. Uh, tell me about your cycling uh, career. <laughs> yeah, my career. I would, so um I started I started like road cycling 7 years ago when I came to Singapore. Um when I first came to Singapore, I was 120 kilos in terms of you know, my weight. Uh I'm like 78 to 80 kilos now. Um and one of the main reasons that I lost a lot of weight is when I came to Singapore, I was like it's way too hot to be this fat in Singapore, uh, like living here. Um, it's uh, like wearing like 15 jackets, uh, being 120 kilos and being five foot eight. So I was like, let me try and get lose a little bit of weight, get a bit healthier. And uh, I got myself a little uh, a little mountain bike just to, just to cycle to the office and back. Um, then one weekend I went to the, some mountain bike trails, um, hated doing the off-roading stuff, but loved cycling on the roads to go to the mountain bike trails. So I got myself a road bike, started doing some longer distance stuff, and um, kind of fell in love with road cycling um, and, and got involved in the road cycling uh, community over here in Singapore. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, what are your achievements? I, I saw that you've been in, uh, in some tournaments lately. Yeah, yeah. It's funny they call them tournament tournaments, but yeah, no, some races for sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, the, the thing is, like, I am someone that is, I'm not delusional. There are individuals that are very much they're way fitter than I am. Mm -hmm. They're way better cyclists. But I just love, I love trying to push myself and trying to compete. Um, this year, I came ninth overall in the individual time trial in Singapore in the elite category because I'm under 35, which means that I have to compete against people that are like professional cyclists, which sucks. Uh, but ninth overall, I was very happy with. That's um, pretty impressive. Um, you know, out of, I think, I think it was like a field of 45 people. So I'll take that. Um, and then I came third in the elite duos time trial. So I'm like a time trialist, which is a certain type of cycle. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, um, so yeah, and uh, my biggest achievement like individually was um, this thing called Paris Brest Paris, which is a long distance event. It's not officially a race, but people do race it. And uh, it's 1,200 kilometers long and you have 90 hours to complete it. And I actually completed that five years ago. Wow. Um, so I'd only been cycling for a couple of years. Um, and, uh, it's a super long distance grueling event where you have to manage your own sleep. You sleep for like three to four hours a night. You start 20 hours a day kind of thing. Wow. Um, so yeah, that was my, that was my biggest achievement. I would say. Wow. That's really impressive. And, uh, last but not least, tell us about your 
you were talking about health and staying healthy. Uh, how does cycling contribute and what do you do every day to uh, stay healthy when it comes to cycling at least? Um, so for me, I mean, I'm, I'm doing between, between eight to 15 hours of cycling a week. Um, that's mixed in during the week before work, a long ride on the weekend, that kind of thing. And for me, um, before I came to Singapore, being as heavy as I was, I had so many health issues. I had knee issues. I had back issues. I constantly had stomach issues. Um, and just by coming to Singapore, um, changing my diet a little bit, um, I mean, I, I did, I did the maths, right. And I was eating like four and a half to 5,000 calories a day at my heaviest. And now on a typical day, I'll eat 2,500 and sometimes more if I do a lot of cycling. Yeah. Um, if I do a big session in the morning, then I'll eat like three and a half thousand, but I was eating four and a half thousand to 5,000 calories whilst doing absolutely no physical activity, smoking 30 cigarettes a day, drinking vodka, Red Bulls at night, playing World of Warcraft. Uh, it was like a long kind of thing when I was in the UK. So it's been a massive change for me. And not only has it improved my health, it's improved my confidence, it's improved my, uh, you know, just overall personality. I don't feel like crap anymore all the time. That's and, great. um, Going from being as heavy as I was to, I mean, I'm not saying I'm skinny now, but at least I'm not on the on death's door kind of thing. It's a, <laughs> it's been a great, great experience and a great journey. That is great. All right. I think uh, we've uh, completed all of our uh, goals for this podcast. I'd like to thank <laughs> you for coming. It was a lot of fun. And uh, I think we got some great insights for you and all kinds of stuff. So, yeah, thank you for coming. No worries, man. Thanks for having me. All right, make sure to follow our guest on Twitch TV slash Sombrero. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe and rate the podcast. Visit our brand new site, spreezy.com, where you can find all info about the podcast and the stream. Sign up for the newsletter for more info. And if you'd like to support the growth of the channel, feel free to become a patron. See you in the next one.